Trash Ever, the show that discusses all the masterpieces and trash the pieces of genre cinema. I'm Gary. And I'm Chris. Welcome back to the Trash Beach of Horror Court Trash Ever. Something less trashy. Yes. Um, wasn't it less beachy as well? <laughs> okay. Disclaimer. Disclaimer. Let's get it out there right here, right now. I chose Creepshow 2 as one of my picks for Summer Scares. Summer Screams. Summer Screams. <laughs> oh, excuse me. For Summer Screams. And upon watching, because I'd never seen it before, but I'd seen clips and it featured what I believe to be a beach. Yeah? So I chose it. And our lovely listeners chose it. You know? Yeah. What was it between? This is your fault, guys. Yeah. <laughs> but what was this it in Campfire Tales. This in Campfire Tales. And we watched it, and the whole fucking thing set in the fucking winter. Well, the first, seg the first segment I is... I get the feeling, it, it, but it's definitely not summer. I, we'll, we'll say it is. There's nothing <laughs> saying it otherwise. Um, Disclaimer out there. Yeah. It's on lists for summer horror It is on lists for films, summer horror films. I so... watched it when I was younger. You know, getting into my history already before we even talk about the film. Um, I watched it when I was younger. Uh, it was amongst some of the first horror films i ever seen. And I remember the raft sequence. And of course, you know, there's people in Speedos and everything. I, I forgot the dialogue about the fact that it's, you know, near Halloween. And <laughs> I forget the fact that one of the big plot points is that they're almost freezing to death. Um, <laughs> but yeah, the, I mean, the first segment I, I'd say is in summer. It's not giving summer, though. It feels like a summer horror blockbuster. Like that was summer. released in November. Uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Let's also not discuss that. Uh, yes, today we're talking about Creep Show 2, 1987. What a year for horror, 1987, by the way. Yeah? The Year of the Lost Boys. Oh. Hellraiser. Ooh. You know, Nightmare on Elm Street 3 was that year, I believe? Could be. I believe There's it was. There's a possibility. Yeah. Oh, was it 4? Either way, I mean, either of those. Um, yeah, no, 1987's a great year. I mean, for film in general. Um, Creep Show 2... Not, not exactly up there with the likes of Lost Boys, Hellraiser, and in the Batman Elm Street sequels. But I have nostalgia attached to it, and I I think it's fun. I have no nostalgia attached to it, and I think it's passable. Yeah, it's fine. It's fine. Am I am I dying to watch it again? No, but let's yeah. discuss it. Yes. <laughs> so it's directed by Michael Gornick who uh, directed Stephen King's Golden Tales, as well as episodes of The Winners, Tales from the Dark Side, Monsters, Golden Years. He was actually the news reporter on the radio in Dawn of the Dead. Ah, The Voice. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Oh, I see. Yes. Uh, written by, you know, Stephen King. And if you listen to this podcast and you don't know who Stephen King is, then there's something wrong. Um, but yeah, just in case, you know, Carrie, The Shining, Shawshank Redemption, It, Misery, The Green Mile, Christine, Cujo, Stand By Me, Salem's Lot, Pet Cemetery. It, the list goes on. Director of <laughs> Maximum Overdrive. Maximum Overdrive. Uh, also written by George A. Romero. Again, you know, Master of Horror, Night, Dawn, Day of the Dead, uh, Creep Show, the first film. Monkey Shines, Martin, etc., etc., and also written by an uncredited Lucille Fletcher, who wrote Sorry Wrong Number, Once Upon a Time, Blindfold, Night Watch, Hit and Run, Sorry Wrong Number, again on my notes for some reason, I really 
must have been interested by that film. I included it twice. Barbara Stanwyck's in it. Episodes of Lights Out, Climax, The Twilight Zone, etc., etc. Budget $3.5 million and it made $14 million at the box office. So, um, not terrible. Yeah. Yeah, fine. Yeah, good. Yeah. It wasn't a bomb. It, it wasn't a bomb. It wasn't, it wasn't a, a bomb. bomb. Um, any opinion on horror anthologies as a whole? I like horror anthologies as a whole. And I think we'll discuss a few when we come to our recommendations at the end. I do like them when they're done right. Yeah. Um, I think what can happen sometimes is it leaves you wanting more. Mm -hmm. Because you don't feel like the story's been dealt with fully. Yeah. Or you question why such a small story becomes... Half, and it's usually yeah, half an hour. Yeah. There's a fine line of finding the right story mm -hmm. to be half an hour within itself. Yeah. Um, but you know, some films get it right. Yeah. So you don't. You yeah, know? it's one of my favorite sort of genres. It's just, it's. I always find you can have a lot more fun with it. I think. Um, but yes, yeah, some. It's difficult. Some films can really. You know, it can really be a mixed bag because of being an anthology. If some segments are stronger than others, for example, VHS Viral has like one really good segment in it, and the rest is all trash. Um, you do run that risk you know, as well. You never know. Um, but I mean, Creep Show as a whole, uh, I'm surprised it only made it to three films and a TV show. I, I'm really surprised there wasn't more made of this because mm. uh, I mean, it's it's well known. With horror fans. Yeah. yeah. Everyone knows Creepshow. Um, first one's great. Classic, yeah. Five star, no. But still a a classic horror film that's a lot of fun to watch at Halloween time. Um, way better than this, of, of course. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's, it's just a franchise where so much can be done with it. I think with anthologies as well, for me, personally, I always thought of anthologies as purely horror. You know, all yeah. the real famous anthology films were horror films. Mm -hmm. And it wasn't real. And I can only name... Um, well, I actually can't name it because I forgot the name. Four Rooms. Uh, not Four Rooms. Oh, God. That's an anthology. Yeah, it's it an is anthology. anthology. Of course it is. Um, no, that wonderful film that we watched this year. Oh, my God. Oh, uh, Wheel of Fortune and Fantasy. Wheel of Fortune and Fantasy. A fantastic anthology film yeah. that isn't horror. Mm -hmm. You know, so it can lead, you know, yeah. into other genres, but for the majority, is uh, anthology yeah. is really yeah. horror. Okay, so it's that time again for our first section of the episode, and it is... Hey, I know you. Thanks for prolonging the note. I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it differently each time. It's fine. First up, we have Horror Master... Legend, icon, she is the moment. Uh, Tom Savini, oh. who plays the creep, but the, the face of the creep, the creep is voiced by someone else. But he's it's Tom Savini. Uh, acting wise, you may know him from from Dust Till Dawn, Martin, Dawn of the Dead, both original and remake. Uh, Django Unchained, The Perks of Being a Wallflower, where he played a teacher. It always seems so random to me. It's a random one. Machete, Zack and Mary make a porno, Planet Terror, Maniac, Effects, etc, etc. 
You know, Tom Savini is not a bad actor. He's, yeah, he's fine. You know, he's not doing huge dramatic monologues. No. Um, but he's, you know, he's a good actor. Yeah. Yeah. yeah we said it. We did. Uh, George Kennedy plays Ray Spruce. He was in The Naked Gun, Call Hand Luke, Thunderbolt and Lightfoot, Hired to Kill, Just Before Dawn, Death on the Nile, Straight Jacket, and lots more. Yeah, he was... Oh, Joan Crawford straight jacket. He wasn't oh. a Joan Crawford. So, yeah, he won the Oscar Best Supporting Actor for Cool Hand Luke. Um, I think he is actually the best in Naked Gun. Mm. I think he's good. I, I love Naked Gun, but I think he's really yeah. good in that. He is. With Leslie Nielsen as well, obviously. Yeah. Leslie Nielsen's top tier. Dorothy uh, Lamour, who... Acts alongside him, uh, plays his wife Martha Spruce. She was in The Greatest Show on Earth, Donovan's Reef, Road to Bali, uh, Pajama Party, The Road to Hong Kong, Here Comes the Groom, Manhandle, Tropical Holiday, Tropic Holiday, even, etc. etc. Um, yeah, I mean, I think even you said yourself, she was a supporting actress mostly in classic Hollywood. Yeah, I, I kind of, I, I suppose you would say a bit player. Never really the lead in no. any of these films. Um, and I think a, a few of those were musicals and she she would, you know, I, I think a, a dancer, I think she was mainly. Mm -hmm. um, so, yeah, but old old school, classic yeah. Hollywood actress. Um, I think the two of them now, obviously one actress I'm, I'm about to mention shortly. Uh, provides the best performance in the film, but I think the two of them provide two of the best performances in the film. You can tell they've got that background there. Yeah, yeah, and I think you needed, um, especially with George Kennedy, a familiar face, mm -hmm. um, because we have to really feel for these people yes. in a very short amount yeah. of time. Yeah, uh, Daniel Beer plays Randy. He was in Hal High, Last Exit to Brooklyn, Night Visions, Whore. Oh, he was, yes. Yeah. Of course. A terribly underrated film. Mm -hmm. Point Break, Talking About Sex, Dirt, Boston Public, and more. More? Yeah, more. More films. Oh, <laughs> I said more like... More, starring Sean Penn. Uh, and providing the best performance of the film um, as part of what I believe to be one of the best creep show segments across all three films is Lois Childs, who plays Annie Lansing. Uh, she was in Moonraker, also Death in the Nile, uh, Broadcast News, Speed 2, Cruise Control, oh, no. Lush Life, Diary of a Hitman, The Way We Were, Sweet Liberty, <gasps> Say Anything. She yeah. was in The Way We Were. Say Anything, uh, and, and lots more. I mean, Lois Charles <gasps> is. I knew prolific. her from Death on the Nile, but she was in The Way We Were. Yeah. I oh, love that film. She's. Um... She's Robert Redford's other woman. Mm -hmm. Not, not he's not cheating on Barbara Streisand, but she's same the, the same plain, role as this. The plain woman. Oh, that, no, uh, no, no, no. Me. She's the plain woman. <laughs> Robert Redford. Um, Barbara Streisand is too crazy for Robert Redford, and Lois Lois Charles is the not plain Jane because she's a beautiful woman, but the more um, safe option <laughs> for Robert Redford. Oh, I love that film. And finally, we have Tom Wright, who plays the hitchhiker. Uh, he was in Marked for Death, Barbershop, Seinfeld, Murder at 1600, Tales from the Hood, Do the Right Thing, 
Blue Steel, uh, Tomcats, Exterminator 2, uh, Amateurville, A New Generation, and lots more. Wow. Um, yeah. Great actor. I, I, you know what? He doesn't have a lot to do in his film. Very minimum dialogue, but he is so good. Yeah. Yeah, we get very minimal dialogue. Yeah. Um, but yeah, yeah, he does really well. And now it is time for our feature presentation. <laughs> Welcome to Creepshow 2. Stephen King and George Romero are at it again. So walk. Run. One more step and Swim if you have to, but whatever you do, don't take your time, because the scares come twice as quickly in Creepshow 2, Rated R. I've saved you a seat. <laughs> so we start the film in this small town of Dexter, Maine, uh, where a delivery truck pulls up to a nearby newsstand. And this is part of the prologue uh, for the film, so we will be breaking it down into each section. Uh, so, one first thing of note here is the soundtrack is so good. Um, Very good. And it's performed by the legendary keyboardist Rick Wakeman from Yes. Yes. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. Um, you are correct. Yes. Um, yeah, so Rick Wakeman did the stellar, amazing 10 out of 10 soundtrack for The Burning. I fucking love that soundtrack. Um, we discussed the burning last year, mm -hmm. summer from summer times scares. Um, yeah, I remember him. This is a very British thing from Countdown. Jeez. He was always in um, Dictionary Corner <laughs> on Countdown, and that's where I knew him from. And I one day realised that yes existed and. Then the burning and all that, mm. and I, it's weird to think that this guy oh, no. <laughs> was on Dictionary Corner all those times and Countdown. <laughs> Countdown is a a great game show, but aimed at a, an older audience here in the UK. It's very much based on words and numbers. Uh, I think it's called words and numbers actually in some territories. Maybe. Um, but yeah, very very strange to think of him doing the soundtrack to the burning and Creep Show too. Um, yeah. Uh, a young boy named Billy, uh, played by Dominic John, he eagerly follows the delivery truck on his bike, and the truck's back shutter opens to reveal a sinister delivery man, played by Tom Savini, and voiced by Joe Silver, who drops a package onto the sidewalk. Uh, Nicholas Cage was originally considered for this role. Really? He could have, could have done it voice and face. Oh, I thought you meant Billy. No, no, for the creep. <laughs> for the creep. Okay, he could, he could have done it that. A bit, bit more over the top, maybe. Um, as the film transitions to animation, the package is opened by a pair of miniature winged demons, revealing its contents to be copies of the latest issue of Creep Show, with the comic having the same cover as the comic in the final scene of the previous film. Much to Billy's delight. Yeah, so... It's a weird anomaly that we mainly got in the 80s is this kind of horror films that are adult. And this, what's the rating of this in the UK? Uh, I believe it's 15. 15. But feels like they're aimed at children. Yeah. And this one more so than the first creep show, I felt like this 
was kind of aimed at children, but there's mm. a lot of very adult things that go on. You know, it's a, a horror film. Um, there's some violence and sexuality and such. Um, but these, I, I and I know it's it's a reference back to the comic book roots of Creepshow. Yeah. But the animated parts and this kid Billy sort of being, you know, the main protagonist of these connecting parts of the anthology, I just thought it was a little strange because it, it, the the, the uh, Tom Savini creep goes, uh, welcome kiddies. And it's yeah. like, is this same yeah. to children? Yeah, it's one thing with anthologies I find a lot. A few of them are gateway horror films, I find. Mm. I mean, you know... You look at something like Trick or Treat, it's got its moments, you know, again, there's a bit of nudity, a bit of gore in there, but as a whole, it has the tone of Goosebumps. Yeah. You know? Oh, that's a good point. Um, and Goosebumps, obviously, is an anthology show. They're definitely gave me um, kids. Are You Afraid of the Dark? Absolutely. You know? And then even the first Creepshow film is very much a gateway horror film. Do you think Goosebumps was highly influenced by Creepshow? Oh, absolutely. Definitely. Mm. Definitely. Um, but yeah, I mean, the first film is definitely a gateway horror film. I find... I think this one's more adult than the first film. Yes. Um, I feel like the first one definitely has that sort of B-movie uh, from the 50s sort of tone to it Over mixed with goosebumps top. yeah yeah very comic booky yeah well it's just this has that there this, that tone is still here but there are a few jarring moments of gore um yeah. and and a certain scene in the wrath which yeah. we'll get to um but yeah I, I i like the animated thing i think it's really good yeah um the, the animation looks great um yeah the delivery man reveals his identity as the creep and vanishes <gasps> As Billy picks up an issue and begins to read it, we get the opening credits with comic book versions of the film before the film changes location to a sinister castle where the creep welcomes the audience. After feeding a hunk of meat to a monstrous lizard, the creep proceeds to tell the first story. Uh, so this film consists of only three short horror stories and the wraparound animation story. Uh, just like in... Uh, well... In the first one, there was uh, originally five stories written. Mm. Um, we got five stories in that. In this one, there were originally five stories. Uh, one of them, The Cat from Hell, was later used in Tales from the Dark Side, the movie. Okay. Another gateway horror film, um, which is really good. Uh, and that was directed by John Harrison. And the other story, originally intended to be in this film, was the Stephen King short story, Pinfall. Uh, about ghostly rival bowling teams. Oh, nice. Which, if you were lucky enough to get the limited edition Arrow release, which we have, uh, there is a comic book with it that includes that short story. Ah, nice. So, the, the ones left over from the original Creepshow aren't these ones? So, the raft wasn't written for the original? No, no, no. no. Oh, no, no. What I meant was that no. there was no, five in the Yeah, end. I was yeah. just... Yeah, I was just... Yeah, so these are all written specifically for this film, I believe. Yeah. Um, but yes. Uh, so yeah, so that's really it for the prologue um, for now. It does come back every now and then. I always find with anthology films, a lot of the time the wraparound is the weakest part of it. I don't know if I'd agree with this. Being, I mean, because it's fun. It's, it's not entirely necessary, but it's fun. Yeah, I think it would be a strange to just have 
three films just yeah. go. Mm-hmm. You know, so you have to have these sections to sort of piece them together into one whole actual film. Yeah, I mean, I feel like the first one did the wraparound much better with the uh, Tom Atkins character and uh, Stephen King's son. Yeah. Um, that, I feel that was a lot, lot better. Really funny. But, um, and of course, we all know Tales on the Hood as the best wraparound from any anthology film. Yes. Um, but yeah, no, it's, it's, it's fine. What was the wraparound in... Did Quaidon have a wraparound? Did it have a wraparound? I think it I did. Think it did. I think so. Um, also, yeah, I mean, that's the best anthology. The best, yeah. Made, we, so. we were talking about anthologies, and I did. I, we did forget to mention the very best anthology film that's ever been made, and that's Quaidon. Yeah. Um, so, our first segment is Old Chief Woodenhead. Old Chief Woodenhead. I was it's about Woodenhead. Yes. I was concerned about this one. Because um, obviously, when you watch things when you're younger, uh, you watch it through a completely different lens, especially when you grow up in the same era as me and Chris, where there's a lot of questionable stuff released, which you don't realise is problematic until many years later and you become an adult. Um, obviously, again, I watched this very early on. Uh, I think I was like 11 or 12. So I thought it was great at the time. But when I was thinking back, I was like, okay, if any of these segments will have aged badly, it's absolutely going to be old Chief Woodenhead. Definitely. I was very, very pleasantly surprised with how well they handled this one. Yeah, I have to say I was worried. You know, it was a section about the Native American experience written by two guys who aren't Native, aren't American. Native Americans <laughs> you know so and it's in the 80s in the 80s and yeah I just thought it may not have aged particularly well but like Gary said pleasantly surprised and yeah obviously we'll get into it and tell you why we were pleasantly surprised yes uh Ray and Martha Spruce played by George Kennedy and Dorothy Lamar uh, are a kindly elderly couple who live in the small town of Dead River Arizona uh, Ray is introduced singing about how he loves drinking Jimmy's Cracked Corn. <laughs> Jimmy's Cracked Corn. You don't know that song. I, I, yeah, I, I do. I just found it funny that he was singing. Oh, yeah, he's singing Jimmy Cracked Corn. I don't care. In the summer, you know, just just in case anyone's wondering. In it's the summer, sunny. it is sunny. It is sunny. <laughs> um, yeah, he's singing it to a large statue of a Native American warrior who is Old Chief Woodenhead. Yeah. Uh, whilst he's he's preparing to give him a, a lick of paint, he's, you know, been through it, this old statue. He, he just needs sprucing up a little bit. Yeah. Uh, his wife, Martha, wants him to sell the store because the, uh, the town that they live in, Dead River, is living up to its name because <laughs> it's dead and there's no one around. It's been a long time since the store was thriving. Yeah. Um... And the idea is that Ray's kind of kept it open to help the Native American population that mm-hmm. is still living there and close by. Um, he's allowing a lot of credits that isn't getting paid back. And Martha is a little bit fuming about that. Yeah. Um, you know, Ray says, good intentions built this country. And Martha says, good intentions tore this country down, Ray. 
um, which tells you exactly what you need to know about Martha. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> because she then goes on and says, uh, he's being too good to these people. Yeah. And uh, I got it in my notes here. It's giving me bigot. Yeah. Um, Benjamin White Moon, he, he turns up at the shop and he thanks Race Bruce for his generosity over the years and gives him some beautiful jewellery. Doesn't he? He does. He does. Um, Benjamin White Moon, played by Frank Salcedo, uh, who's also really good in his role. Uh, old Chief Woodenhead was originally going to be played by uh, Arnie. <laughs> yeah. Because he was considered for that role. Um, that would have been something. Glad they never went with that. <laughs> yeah, I, I am quite glad that they didn't go with. Yeah, it's it's an interesting. It's not a speaking role, fortunately. No, but mm. it's an interesting dynamic between Ray and Martha, considering Ray is very likable. Um, you know, he's actually doing his best. Uh, you know, he, you're on his side. You're on his side. He he's doing what he thinks is right. Um, Martha, like you said, I don't know. Giving me Karen. Yeah, she's definitely got that Karen energy there. Yeah. When Benjamin White Moon gives them the uh, the jewels, I mean, when he first goes in, you know, she's giving him the look and whatever. It's like, what what are you doing? Like, why why are you doing this? Well, she suddenly stops becoming a big exactly. The moment yeah. she sees as soon as she's the jewels. Oh, okay. Um, because Benjamin says that Ray can keep them if the Native American people can't pay back their debts. Yeah. Uh, after two autumns. Yeah. So two years, basically. Um, and then she sees them and she suddenly, mm. you know. Yeah, she's fine All then. for diversity. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, Ray vows to guard the jewels with his life. Uh, White Moon... Which he does. He does. <laughs> he actually literally. does. Spoiler alert. Uh, White Moon bids them and old Chief Woodenhead goodbye and returns home. Uh, when he's... <laughs> When he says goodbye to old Chief Woodenhead, he nods in response, briefly startling him. Um, sadly, Ray and Martha's store is then held up by uh, three very 80s looking... Yes, we have uh, Benjamin's estranged delinquent nephew, Sam. Uh, he was armed with a shotgun and accompanied by his friends, the wealthy Andy Rich Boy Kavanagh. Yeah. Uh, who looks like every single 80s thug. Yeah. And the obnoxious Vince Fatso Gribbons, who uh, suggests that he shoves his cock in Ray's mouth. Yes. For some reason. Um, so Sam has no shirt under a denim jacket. <laughs> uh, Rich Boy has random patches on a denim jacket. Yeah. And Fatso has a chucker hat. Yes. So that's where we're at. <laughs> very Stephen King. Very, all three very, Stephen, are very King, Stephen King. Very Stephen um, King. Yeah. Um. It's yeah. It's given eighties. It's given delinquents. Yeah. It's also kind of given Calvin Klein advert, <laughs> particularly with Sam, <laughs> the shirtless and the long flowing hair. You know, freshly washed. Uh, <laughs> Sam is one of the best characters in this film as a whole. Um, because of how stupid and ridiculous he is. Yeah. Um, they ransack the store and empty both the register and Martha's purse for a little money they have. Um, Sam 
admires himself in a photo booth and starts talking about all the women he's going to get when he's famous. Yeah. So it took him nine years to grow his hair. <laughs> and it will definitely get him work in Hollywood. And this is why they're stealing the money. Yeah. For Sam to go to Hollywood. So <laughs> he can get, in his own words, laid and paid. <laughs> Um, yeah, he really knows his uncle gave Ray the jewels and demands that they hand them over whilst holding Martha at gunpoint. Um, when you have someone at gunpoint, I mean, what are you going to talk about? <laughs> what do you mean? Um, well, he has a great conversation topic. Sam says, <laughs> Sam says, hey, you know the movie about the guy that's got like superpowers and shit because of his hair? Then this bitch cuts his hair off and he gets weak. He gets like an ordinary guy. You know that movie? I'm better looking than the guy in that movie. <laughs> yeah, Samson and Delilah, the Bible story. What an amazing, what an amazing monologue that was. It, was. it was a strange one. Sam is not a nice character and he's not nice to his friends either. Um, he wants the jewellery... Ray is reluctant, mm. and Sam ends up shooting both Ray and Martha with his shotgun. Completely out of nowhere. Sadly, sadly enough. Um, yeah, we barely knew thee. Yeah, but really strange. This really... is, for me, the importance of having someone like George Kennedy in the role. Yes, yeah. You need a familiar face who you're going to feel for without having a lot of time mm. to build up the character. Yeah. You know, they're an elderly couple, and mm. obviously Ray comes across as a really nice guy, mm. um, but we're only, what, like 10, 15 minutes into yeah. it? Yeah. Barely that. You know, so having a familiar face, I think, really helps with that. And George Kennedy, this was... This was before Naked Gun, but, you know, he was a well-known face. Yeah. Os Oscar winner and, mm -hmm. and all that. Yeah. Yeah, no, it's really... Uh, it, they know how... The director knows how to get the audience on their side. I mean, mm. especially means they were really well-developed by this point as well, despite having such short yeah. screen time. Um, but, yeah, no, it's a really... The kind of role that we're familiar with yeah we know these kind of people and we know the kind of person that ray is because they, they appear a lot in films the yeah elderly couple who are struggling and help mm -hmm. people you know we we, we have seen it, yeah which helps in this case As sam shoots out the store's windows and fires around at old chief woodenhead knocking over the can of paint ray had been using to touch up the chief's war paint uh, the three thugs drive away and begin preparations to run off to Hollywood, where Sam expects to become a movie star and get those women. Um, after they leave, Old Chief Woodenhead comes to life, uses the spilled paint to finish his war paint, and lets out a howling battle cry before embarking on a vicious warpath to kill the thugs and avenge the Spruces. He is fucking fuming. He is. He is so mad. Um, and he has every right to be. So his first target is... I've only got him... This is terrible. I've only got him written down as fat stuff. Cause that's, <laughs> because he, I think he only gets his name said once. Yeah. And after that, Sam just calls him fat stuff or fatso. It's really horrible. Yeah, so he kills him by puncturing his chest and skull with arrows whilst he's watching an episode of Convict Story. 
convict story. <laughs> Good old convict story. He then goes after Andy, whose parents are watching an episode of Convict Story. <laughs> hacking apart his car with a tomahawk um, before hacking him to death with it. In uh, silhouette. In silhouette. silhouette. Yeah. It's quite a good image, actually. Uh, finally, old Chief Woodenhead corners Sam in his house as he's watching Convict Story. Um, and Sam, uh, who's unable to fight back, the showers from his shotgun are having no effect on uh, old Chief Woodenhead at all. Uh, he attempts to lock himself in the bathroom and escape through a window, but old Chief Woodenhead go- grabs him through the fucking wall, grabs him by his fucking hair... <laughs> Which is hilarious after all he's gone on about this whole time. And uh, uses a hunting knife to scalp him off screen. Yes. Yeah. And that, for me, I, I think maybe him scalping is a bit of... It's a stereotype and not... Yeah. It's one that's been used against Native Americans a lot, particularly in cinema. Yeah. The idea of Native American scalper and... Yeah, for me, I was like, oh, okay, we could maybe have seen that different, but it's pretty cool to see Chief Wooden, uh, you know, old Chief Woodenhead getting the revenge for uh, the Spruces. Yeah, 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 because I mean, you know, he's a hero, technically, because he's a villain. He's going around murdering them, but he's still the hero. Um, And also, I think the special effects used, uh, the makeup and whatnot on this character looks so good. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, and I think of course, I the... would have done a great job. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, with uh, Vince Fatso's death, you know, again, really great practical effects. That one, they, they showed everything. Uh, yeah. The others were kind of implied, but that one, you really get to see it all. Yeah. What do you think about them including Convict Story whilst this is happening? I have absolutely no idea why they include So it's a Western, story. very much in the old fashioned type uh... of Westerns where the Native Americans would have been. The there man. we go. So I th- I think this is and it's a very simple story. Yeah, it's really simple, but I think it's a really interesting one um, that could have been developed a little more and could have actually probably have done with a Native American writer on yeah. board. Um, but I saw it as Sam was rejecting his Native American ancestry. Yeah, and his you know, the culture of his family. Mm-hmm. You know, he's rejecting his uncle when he shoots Old Chief Woodenheads. I see that as him rejecting, you know, being Native American. Yeah. And he wants to go to Hollywood and start a new life there. Mm-hmm. And he's going about it completely wrong. Yeah. And that that's, you know, he's violently rejecting his heritage. Yeah. And I feel like Old Chief Woodenhead is maybe a representation of Sam not being able to get away yeah. from his heritage. And he shouldn't. Yeah. Um, which I think is very interesting. Mm-hmm. And I think it's it, it, it falls into the pitfall of an anthology where I feel like I would have liked to have seen it developed more. Yeah. But I don't think there was enough there for a feature length film yeah it's 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 also and i think this is the second best one in in the whole thing but i agree it's um it's interesting to see that it's one here with maybe a bit of uh social commentary in there whereas the other two are more straight up horror comedy bizarre yeah you know that's it, it seemed uh 
Maybe it was a slightly out of place, but I'm glad it's there because it, it does work. Yeah, it's got layers to it and very interesting ones as yeah. well. The next morning, Benjamin White Moon wakes up to find the bag containing the jewellery on his bed. Uh, he goes to the general store to find Old Chief Woodenhead back on the porch uh, with fresh war paint on, holding his <laughs> oh, holding uh, his nephew's bloody scalp and a bloodstained knife. Yes. Uh, now aware nice. of what happened to the spruces and what Old Chief Woodenhead has done to the killers, Benjamin wishes the old warrior a peaceful afterlife and drives away. And that's uh, Old Chief Woodenhead. That's Old Chief Woodenhead. So like I said, a very simple story. Yeah. Um, I th I, like we said, I, I think it's good. I don't think it's great. I think it's good. Are we rating each individual story? Yeah. Yeah. I would give it um, seven episodes of Convict Story <laughs> out of ten. Yeah, I, I would give it the same. Um, Can you not think of anything funny? Uh, seven, seven... Reformed Karens. <laughs> she wasn't ten. reformed. She wasn't reformed. Well, we found for her in the end, didn't we? I suppose, uh, when she was killed. <laughs> seven... Um, Seven superhero movies where the bitch has cut off the guy's long hair and he has no more powers out of ten. There we go. <laughs> we get another. We get an interlude back to the prologue uh, story, where the film returns to animation. Billy is seen at the town post office, still reading a comic book. He receives a package from the clerk, uh, Mister Hake. Is he going to pay for that fucking comic book? No. <laughs> Uh, that supposedly contains a product advertising a copy of the Creepshow magazine. Incensed by the sceptical Hague's dismissal of paying nine ninety nine for a toy ordered out of a funny paper, Billy mentions that the package is the bulb for a meat-eating Venus flytrap and goes on to Bill Splain meat-eating Venus flytraps. I mean, he fucking goes on about it. <laughs> I switched off. Um, well, this is a meat-eating of a Venus flytrap, and this is what it does. It starts to eat people. Like, okay, shut the fuck up. Which would have been more interesting if we just were about to have a story about a meat-eating yeah. Venus flytrap. I don't really get yeah, the point. Yeah, Mr. Hague's still like, yeah, you're full of shit, gal. And, um, yeah. Billy puts This his, isn't a library! <laughs> he puts his money on the counter and goes home with his package. Uh, the creep appears behind the post office counter, surprised <gasps> to find the audience still watching... Uh, and he proceeds to tell them the next story. What <laughs> the fuck are you surprised when I'm still watching? That's so rude. <laughs> Old Chief Woodenhead wasn't that bad. <laughs> next up we have The Raft. The Raft, yeah, not The Craft. The Raft. No, exactly. Um, second best thing involving a raft that also involves Tom Savini. And uh, right. the keyboard is from Yes. Oh my god, that's so true. Um, yeah, so we're... Introduced to a group of not-so-teen teens. In mid-October. In mid-October. We have mentioned that. Full disclaimer at the beginning of the episode. Uh, and they're on their way to see a raft. They are. <laughs> Why? Why are they on their way to know. see a raft? I don't know. I really don't They've know. They've driven for an hour and a half. They've, they even said, didn't they? Hour and a half. Yeah. To go to this Oh, this raft mm -hmm. better be good. I'm not massively familiar with a raft. Um, I, don't, it's I don't think it's a not tourist really attraction. really part of British culture. But seemingly, it, and it's, you know, the surrounding whatever looks very nice. 
but are not worth an hour and a half. No. Um, yeah, we get jock stereotype Deke. We do. Speedo Chad. Weed smoking Shelley Duvall lookalike, Laverne. Pre-med Randy. <laughs> oh, I put, is that Sheena Easton? <laughs> um, yeah. And uh, quiet sissy space set lookalike, Rachel. And um, Randy. I said pre-med Randy. Oh, pre-med nice guy. Uh, yeah. Well, so you think. Rachel and Laverne um, was giving me sweet valley high. <laughs> Not because they look like the twins, but in the song it's like, one always goes up to you, the <laughs> other shine quiet. <laughs> Purely personal, that cracked me up. They, um, the, yeah, the, the students of Horlicks University. Horlicks? Yeah, like the stuff that makes you go to sleep. Um, Horlicks, <laughs> and, and that's also really Horlicks? that is also her. yeah. That's also the university from the first film. Nice little connection there. Horlicks, yeah. Okay. Um, they drive out to Cascade Beach. Cascade Beach, uh, and right. whilst they're driving out, they're listening to what we'll soon figure out is a never-ending generic eighties <laughs> rock song. <laughs> yeah. Oh my god, this goes on for the whole segment, it like does. in the car, the car. So they're not always in the car, obviously, because a big portion they're on the raft. Um, but every time we go back to the car, yeah, it playing. It's still playing this it, song. It is still playing. Yeah, how the battery, you know, is still on. <laughs> Lord knows the water is fucking freezing. It is. Um, yeah, they they discover the the, the raft, um, and they think the lake's caretakers forgot to bring it in. But okay. that's the re. Oh, I don't get it then. I well, don't understand. Well, I mean, yeah, I was on the understanding they were going there to see it. To see the raft. I was also under the impression that a raft moved easily and wasn't static. <laughs> um, but a big one. part of this section is the fact that the raft isn't mm. easily movable and it's static. Yeah. Um, yeah, a little confusing. <laughs> They swim out to the raft, and there's some weird-looking, oily, black substance floating on the surface Yeah, in an almost or perfect circle. I've referred to this in my notes as oil, the oil, because it's never really... Oh, I suppose this maybe has social commentary as well. I suppose um, so. That's very true. Yeah. yeah. Um yeah, so Randy spots it and he urges everyone to swim faster. Um once they're all on the raft, they discover uh, the the big blob like thing. Um and uh, Deke says so they think it's oil slick. Yeah. And Deke says, I don't believe in oil slick. I only believe in what I can smell, taste and touch. <laughs> right. Uh, um Deke is in tight yellow speedos. He is. He is, and he, yeah, he <laughs> plays up to that stereotype, definitely. Um, the makeup artist, Ed French, left the film amidst the filming of The Raft uh, after being snubbed by director Michael Gornick, who turned to Howard Berger for advice on how to fix the blood monster in the lake instead of French. Uh, Berger and Greg, uh, Greg Nicotero uh, finished the remaining effects in the film without uh, Ed French. Do you think it looks that bad? I... I mean, I think it looks cheesy, but I think that's part of the appeal. It's... There's not enough to it. I no. wish it was a bit more... 
um, over the top. Because mm-hmm. it do, really just looks like black bin bags. It does. <laughs> um, and I, I just wish, if we're doing... Um, I mentioned it now. I thought that this was a trying to be a parody of like creature features. Mm. Not a blob specifically. The blob specifically, but there are similar, yeah. you know, um, creature features, and that's what I thought it was. So mm-hmm. I kind of wished it was bigger and more prominent because yeah. it just kind of looks like black bags in the water. Um, a big part of the story is them not being able to swim away from it, but it doesn't really look that menacing. No, no. Um, yeah, it, it doesn't quite work for me, um, unfortunately. Rachel leans over the raft to try and touch the creature. It grabs her, pulls her into the lake and digests her. Oh my god. Shy and retiring, Rachel. Yeah. Didn't think she'd be the one to go. Didn't think she'd be the one to go. Yeah. Um, so it's right for being a nosy bitch. Should have kept her fingers out of the water. She should have. I mean, I think the practical effects for the death scenes in this segment are really good. Really Definitely good. better than the uh, design of the, of the creature. Absolutely. And that's kind of why the creature itself is disappointing. Yeah. Because the death scenes are fantastic. Yeah. They look great. Great imagery. Rachel being devoured yeah. by this oily substance looks amazing. Mm-hmm. You know, it's the actress's IMDb picture. Yeah, it is. <laughs> it is. It, I think it looks great. Yeah. Um, but, yeah. Yeah, it's a great shot. Great shot. Everyone's losing their shit on the raft. Um, the students then remember that it's currently the off-season, meaning that there's no caretaker to rescue them anytime soon. Laverne starts panicking the most, and uh, Deke threatens to smoke her whilst waving his fist in her face. Yeah. See, this is... uh, Laverne, I thought, more than anyone else, was going to be a parody. Mm. Over the top, screaming, oh my god. Yeah. You know, and she is. She is hysterical, but it's not really enough for me. Because I thought it was a parody. That's how I read the, the section. Yeah. Um, I mean, I think Laverne, out of all of them, deserved to survive the most. She gets a real rough time. I mean, she has a boyfriend threatening to punch her. Yeah. Uh, and then something else happens coming up as well. And she really yeah. deserved to survive. Well, Deke gets punished for his he uh, does. threatening behaviour. He because he's grabbed from beneath the raft. So there, there's like gaps in between the planks on the raft it comes up drags him into the water and he's eaten yeah and we get to see his leg by his face um yeah he's being dragged into doing a split of some some (laughs) sort uh laverne is hysterical yeah and jumps into randy's arms for some reason (laughs) um and it's just the two of them it's getting dark now yeah and laverne and randy is still stuck on the raft and this is why I'm confused, because the raft's quite large. Yeah. But the creature isn't particularly large. No. So it's not like it's surrounding the raft. Mm-hmm. It would have worked better if it was surrounded. Yeah. The raft, because I'm just looking at this um, kind of floating black bag. in, And it's, it is large. Mm-hmm. But this floating black bag in the water, 
and then the other side's completely clear, and it's like, why is no one trying to see Yeah. Oh, it? I mean, something that the creature does at the end also renders this entire segment pointless. Absolutely. Because it could have just done that in the first place. But isn't Deke's <laughs> death kind of rendered it pointless? Yeah. Why Why is this, you know, why is the creature just hanging around? And if I... it can go underneath <laughs> and grab them and pull them down. Yeah. Um. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> I think it's it, dark. Yeah. I think it's trying to say something about pollution uh and the fact that these are all teenagers who all get punished. Yeah. Um going out to this lake. Yes. Well, they hold each other and sleep until morning to try and yeah. keep themselves warm. Um and in really awful series of events. Mhm. Um when they wait, Randy's the first to wake up the next day. Randy lays Laverne down on the raft, lifts up her top, and starts to kiss her. Yeah. Before she's wake woken up. Yeah. And they weren't they weren't either no. way. Um, but they definitely weren't in a relationship. No. And this is so weird and uncomfortable. It really is. I mean so out of nowhere. Out completely out of nowhere. This guy was portrayed to be the nice guy uh, of the bunch. You know, he he's a premed. He's he's the well educated one. He's the sensible one. He's warned everyone about everything. Um, and then the next minute he's sexually assaulting someone. Exactly. It's so, and if that was meant to be. Plot twist that, oh, the nice guy. You think he's the nice guy going against expectations while well, look what he's doing now. No, that's not something to use for a plot twist. But what for? They're not dealing with it. From a character perspective, it makes no sense. I mean, this is a short part, you know, of the film. Mm. It's like a short film in yeah. itself um, about a killer oil slick blog mm -hmm. or whatever it is. There's absolutely no reason to no. have this. There's no reason for the characters to act like this. From a filmmaking point of view, what is this for? Mm. Cheap TNA? Yeah. Um, if it's for cheap TNA, then shame on the filmmakers. That's weird. Because it's just that's weird. so fucking weird. Yeah. Um, if it is to show a different side to Randy's mm. character, then it means fuck all because yeah. you ain't dealing with it no. it doesn't mean anything um because you know laverne doesn't even acknowledge it's happened no because spoiler alert she's killed straight away after mm -hmm. it's really awkward yeah and really you know um i mean demeaning to, it is. to, to women really it is. yeah it hasn't aged. Do you know what? It probably, it probably wasn't even, you know, acceptable in nineteen eighty-seven. No, it, it should never have been. And it's the thing so is, weird. it's yeah, um, it it's the worst thing about the film by yeah. far. Like it, it really dragged my rating down. And um, we looked at each other and we're like, what the fuck is this? Yeah. Why is this? Yeah, I I really don't get it at all. Mm. Um, yeah. And there's not even anything... I'm, I'm quite surprised there's nothing really in the trivia to say, like, oh, someone disagree with us or anything like that. You know, it kind of just happens. And that's, yeah. I think that's what makes it even worse. Um, you know, as we've spoke about many, 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 many times on the podcast, 
you know, if you're going to include something as serious as this, you better fucking deal with it. Absolutely. Um, but no. But it's completely pointless. Completely yeah. pointless. You could, do you know what? Why did she have to be asleep? Why yeah. couldn't they just have a sex scene? Why could Because she was the outgoing, vivacious one. Yeah. Why, you know, just write a slutty character for yeah. fuck's sake. Yeah. You know, just write her as, you know, mm. sexually free. If you want to really go against expectations, then you should have had Randy killed as well. You know, you should have had him killed first with uh, with the good girl and then just have her and a boyfriend on there. Absolutely. Write a sex scene. And then have a sex... You know, it's... Yeah. Weird. Yeah. So weird. Like I said, Laverne is dragged into the water and eaten as Randy tries to swim to the shore. So he uses her death yeah. as a distraction. Uh-huh. After sexually assaulting her, yeah. she's because he's laid her down on the ground, she's then grabbed from underneath. Yeah. Great special effects here again. Um, and he thinks, oh shit, this is my chance now. Yeah. Bye, bitch. And yeah. goes. Daniel Beer, who played Randy, almost died from hypothermia during the scene. Um, the water was so cold that his body turned green. The crew wanted him to continue acting, uh, but director Michael Gornick said uh, that if they got him to keep working, he'd walk off set and never return. So they took him to the hospital, he made a full recovery, and then came back to complete the segment. Wow. It's this creep show too, Daniel Beer. <laughs> it's not really worth it. No. <laughs> and this is, we've always said it, you know, no, re- no animal or human should be put in any no. kind of danger for cinematic entertainment. Yeah. And we, we, you know, I fully agree with that one. And at the end of the day, it is, it's, it's just a film. Yeah. It really is. You need to make sure that everyone involved is yeah, safe yeah. and in good hands. Yeah. He makes it, uh, to, uh, he makes it back to the, uh, to the shore. The shore? It's right worth what is that? Yeah, sure. Sure, 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 sure. sure. Um, yeah, so he sure? makes it back. He uh, he barely escapes the creature, and he starts shouting, "I beat you!" to it. Uh, and the creature rears up from the water like a fucking wave and engulfs him. Yeah, um, great shot, amazing, perfect for a trailer. Yeah, perfect for a poster. Makes the whole section completely yeah. pointless. Why didn't it just turn into a wave when they were on the raft <laughs> and kill all of them at once? It renders everything that we've just sat through. And let's be honest, we kind of did it more justice than is deserved. Because there was some fucking boring parts during yeah. that. It's, it's short, but still, there's a lot of boring conversation. Yeah, the blob uh, leaves no evidence of the <laughs> students apart from their uh, clothes in the car. Uh-huh. Um, unbeknownst to the students... Uh, next to the car was a sign barely visible behind uh, behind some things, reading "No swimming." No swimming, and that's that. Yeah. Um. Yeah. It's definitely the weakest one. Definitely the weakest. I thought it was meant to be parody, but it wasn't quite. I thought it was, you know, if you're trying to be super scary, then why have you got these ridiculous characters like yeah. Laverne? She was acting hysterical. Um, wasn't really quite sure what the message was mm. until you you explain, um, and the the blob itself didn't look great. No, but the kills yeah looked fantastic. Yeah, um, for me, I think I'd give it five generic eighty rock song eighties rock songs out of ten. 
I'd give it... For the practical effects, um, and for the two women who deserve better. Yeah. And the 80s rock song. I give it four yellow speedos out of ten. Uh, thank you for stealing what I was going to use for my final rating. Oh, no! <laughs> when we get to that part, pretend you didn't hear that. Okay. Um, so, we get another interlude. Um, the film returns to animation. Billy is making his way back home from the post office, reading the comics still. He's then ambushed by a gang of neighborhood finally bullies. Paid for the fucking yeah, thing. yeah, he's ambushed by a bunch of bullies. Um, yeah, because eighties, eighties. Uh, they start taunting him. The gang's leader, uh, a kid named Rhino, takes Billy's package from him <laughs> and uh, smashes it. As the bullies uh, continue to mock Billy. Rhino opens the package, finding the Venus flytrap bulb, and drops it on the ground. <gasps> dun, dun, dun. Billy threatens to uh, threatens, threatens him to give it back, uh, but he ends up crushing it with his foot. And in retaliation, Billy kicks Rhino in the groin and flees as an angered Rhino uh, orders his uh, friends to go and get him. To which he says, get him, I want his ass. Yeah, <laughs> that was a weird phrase to use. Uh, as Billy escapes, the creep appears from behind a tree, informing the audience that Billy knows his way around town, so the bullies won't catch him in a hurry, and then goes on to tell the last story. That's uh, a little more uh, meat on the bones of that last, of that segment. Yeah, the... still completely irrelevant to anything else that's going on <laughs> in the film. Um, yeah, right, it happens. That, that's it. And that brings us to our final segment. The best segment of the film, one of the best Creepshow segments, it is The Hitchhiker. The Hitchhiker, not The Hitcher, The Hitchhiker. No Rutger Hauer in this. Was The Hitcher the same year? I believe that was 87 as well. I mean, it would be... yeah. It would make sense if that was the case, if they're uh, cashing in on that. Oh, it's a very different story. A year story, before. Though. It was a year before. Yeah. 1986. Okay. Um, Annie Lansing, uh, Slay Queen, played by Lois Charles, an adulterous uh, businesswoman and fashion icon who wears three big necklaces. She wakes up and gets out of bed after sleeping with her gigolo lover. Uh, <laughs> he says to her, I counted six orgasms and you probably had others silently, so I didn't get a sore head. Immediately off the bat. Yeah. She uh, likes throwing folded up banknotes at him. She does. <laughs> she does it a couple of times. Absolute queen. It's so nice to see a film where uh, the prostitute is actually a male and yeah. the woman has taken the male's position you'd usually see in a film like this. It's not necessarily judgmental of the sex work no, part of it. No, no. Um, obviously it's judgmental of her having an affair behind her husband's mm-hmm. back, you know. So she is a queen, but she's a queen with an edge. She is. She's not, she's not, you know, 100% angelic. But immediately. She's you, a bad girl. Immediately it just oozes camp. Um, so camp. It's just everything. This is, this is the one for the gays. <laughs> uh, upon discovering that there was a power outage the night before... Annie realises that she only has 15 minutes before her wealthy attorney husband, George, arrives home. How do we know he's an attorney? Because she says, I have a great lawyer, my husband. Yes, uh, her uh, her lover, um, her lover for hire, offers to get her a lawyer. And yeah, 
it says uh, that her husband's a good lawyer. And without him, you won't get your Mercedes. And she says this whilst putting her gloves on. She does. Um, George, the way he's described is exactly to be the most likable character anyway. So it kind of gives her a little bit of a pass. A, a little bit. A little bit. Again, I, I think of all the, the, the three segments, this one probably could have been given more time. Yeah, yeah. This maybe could have made a decent feature-length film. Oh, definitely. Yeah. Or an hour-long episode of an, a series. Yes. You know, an anthology series. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Do you know what she... Annie really loves to do. Talk to herself. Talk to herself. We love a neurotic queen and she is neurotic. Yes, she hops into a car and races for her house several miles away. Uh, she says, he gave me six orgasms. Six orgasms, that's $25 a pop. Not bad. What do you think, George? <laughs> <laughs> um, she... She drops a cigarette... <laughs> and loses control of the car, hitting a hitchhiker in a yellow coat. Yes. Now, that's not the part I'm laughing at. What I'm laughing at is the wig on the <laughs> stunt driver. So, Lois Charles, um, in all the films I've seen her in, she's had straight hair. But she's got curly hair in, in this mm -hmm. one. She's giving me Amy Irving, the house down <laughs> boots. And um, the stunt driver is giving me... Jamie Lee Curtis, Halloween 2. Oh, Jamie Lee Curtis. No, <laughs> she's giving me uh, meat from uh, The Phantom of the Paradise. <laughs> Tight, like, blonde, grey curls. Like, uh, nothing. Nothing of the sort. <laughs> nothing like Annie's actual hair. Oh. And it cracked me up. I had to get you to rewind, <laughs> didn't I? I was like, the wig on that stunt driver. <laughs> Impeccable. Um, another car approaches and she speeds off. So we are stanning her. Yeah. But she's a terrible person. She is. <laughs> really bad. Because she speeds off. She leaves the... Uh, the um, Hitchhiker. Hitchhiker. Um, the scene of an accident. That's, mm -hmm. that's the phrase I was looking for. Um, so the other car stops to help the hitchhiker. As does Stephen King. Stephen the King, truck driver. the truck driver. Oh, Stephen King. They 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 did you dirty in both of these films, Fern? Oh, he did himself <laughs> dirty in the original <laughs> Creep Show. Um, his acting skills have improved ever so slightly in this. Well, he's got less um, to do. Less to do, unfortunately. <laughs> Stephen King. I mean, what what can be said about Stephen King? I don't. <laughs> Sex cycle. <laughs> oh, God. Um, I think what needs to be said about Stephen King is stick with what you're good at. Do you think Stephen King is anyone's celebrity crush? Yes. Yours? No. <laughs> um, I think... I think there's a place for anyone to be a celebrity crush. You know, I'm yeah. not one to judge. Yeah. I'm not one, you know, to tell anyone who they should or shouldn't be... Well... To a certain degree, who they should or shouldn't be attracted to. You draw a line to. at Stephen King. I, but no, <laughs> there are lines that need drawing. But um, yeah, if if you fancy Stephen <laughs> King, let us know. 
apparently, yeah, so, so Stephen King's there. George is there, um, who actually reports the hit and run But we don't police. know that till the end. We don't know that to the end, but it's it's the George. Big reveal. It's a bit obvious. Yeah. It's not exactly when a huge surprise. When you see surprise. this guy in a suit and a fancy car, and he has a phone. Going in, in the, the same 80s. direction. <laughs> She's racing home so she can beat her husband um, to reaching her, not so she can beat her husband, um, so she can get home before him, you know, so it's a bit obvious that this is George. Um, Annie continues to talk to herself, <laughs> um, not not just feeling guilty about adultery anymore, she's uh, a criminal, and uh, she's having a good chat natter to herself. She's trying chat. to rationalise it. She's trying to rationalise it. Um... Yeah, suddenly she sees the bloodied hitchhiker on the side of the road. <laughs> she does. And uh, what does she say, Gary? You're seeing things, bitch. <laughs> You're seeing things, bitch. <laughs> the delivery is amazing on that. Um, the hitchhiker um, appear appears at her car window yeah. for a, a nice little jump scare. And uh, then tries to grab her from the sunroof. Yeah, makeup and gowns by Tom Savini. Yeah. Um... The hitchhiker just repeats the same thing for the, for the whole of this. It's thanks for the ride, lady. Yeah. Um, so Annie drives into the woods to get rid of the hitchhiker. Yeah, his hand's reaching through the sunroof um, yeah. in the meantime. Uh, yeah, drives off the road through the woods uh, where she knocks him off the roof of the car with a low-hanging branch. Yeah. She uh, stops for a, a cry. She gets all, out all that guilt uh, before grabbing the gun from her uh, what's glove, it called? Compartment. glove compartment. Thank you, Gary. And uh, shooting yeah. the uh, returning hitchhiker numerous times and driving off and reversing to repeatedly run him over. Yeah. Not stunning her so hard anymore. No. <laughs> um, she also now seems to be more worried about the state of the car. Yeah. She said, look at this car. 3,000, maybe four. So she's horrified at how much the car will cost. <laughs> the hitchhiker returns again. Yeah. He's now on the front of the car as Annie, dri Annie drives into a tree numerous times to once again try and kill him off. Yeah. Um, His... She also, once again, refers to how much the repair of the car is going to cost her. Yeah. And uh, she loves referring to herself as Mrs. Uh, Lansing. But that'll cost you, Mrs. Lansing. Yeah, his Dover sign now says, uh, you killed me. Yes, yeah. Yeah. Um, she passes out. She just passed out. Into the yeah. tree. And... Um, she thinks it's all done. She thinks it was a, a concussion. Um, yeah. What's happening weather-wise? It's snowing. It's snowing. Yeah, we've had <laughs> snow and snow before, you know. It's, uh, we she must have been Pasadena. Um, yeah, it's... Summer in Salt Lake City. Summer in Salt Lake City, maybe. <laughs> maybe. Maybe she's in Salt Lake City. Um, <laughs> we, we do this every fucking year. There's always a it's film always that looks one. freezing. Yeah. <laughs> um, believing that the accident will give her a valid ex uh, explanation as to why she's late to George, and he gets back on the road and drives home. Um, 
actually succeeding in getting there before George. Yeah, she tells herself the whole thing was a dream. Oh, it must have been a dream. It wasn't real. Um, Concussion. That'll cost you, Mrs. Yeah, Ramsey. Yeah. <laughs> she returns home and her uh, husband is late for the first time in history. <laughs> so now we know he was the guy. Um, the hitchhiker, for a good jump scare, uh, this time, he, uh, he's... What? He's under the car. Oh, he's under <laughs> the car. Yes, excuse me. Um, yeah, good jump scare. He's under the car, and this time he's really beaten up. Yes. Great special effects on this. Um, he's unrecognisable, mm -hmm. bloodied face. And uh, he grabs her. Um, we then cut to Annie's husband arriving home. And uh, she's dead in her car. Yeah. And that's when we realised that... George was the guy in the other car at the scene of the accident. Yeah, um, well, you know, she's dead from apparent carbon monoxide poisoning. Oh, yeah, because the car's still running. Yeah, uh, and Dover sign is on her lap from the hitchhiker. Yeah. Um, I think it's good. Yeah. Entertaining. Yeah, yeah. I think Lois Charles gives a good performance, a, a great performance, actually. Mm. Um, for me, it's the most entertaining... It's the one that I could see uh, being a feature-length film. Yeah. I think they could have. There's space to do a lot more there. Oh yeah. Um, I I believe um, well, the hitchhiker is uh, African American, mm -hmm. so I think there's definitely something that could be said with that. Yeah. Uh, and dealt with to a better extent. Yeah. Uh, in a feature-length film. Yeah, in that case, take back what I said earlier about only one having social commentary, because actually we've realised now all, all three, three have had something all to say. All three, yeah. <laughs> I don't think it's... Uh, I think it was a deliberate yeah. thing to have an African-American actor play the hitchhiker. Mm. And, you know, if, if I have a gripe with it, it's that that wasn't dealt with more. Yeah. Even um, homeless people, you know? Yeah, absolutely. Like if, he, if he was a homeless How rich she is, you know? You know, the fact that she was more concerned about the money that yeah. it was going to cost, the fact that she was more concerned about herself and um, probably coming down to money again, mm -hmm. you know, if she was to divorce her husband, um, definitely says something, you know, it's not a mistake that this is 1987, very much in keeping with ideas throughout 80s cinema yeah. of yuppies and mm -hmm. um the one percent and rich people reaganism yeah i think it's really interesting i think there is a, a good commentary there that could be explored more for a segment in an anthology film it does what it needs to do mm -hmm. i wasn't disinterested in any no. at any point I was interested. I was invested. It was good. Yeah. It was good. Absolutely. I'll give it eight orgasms out of ten. <laughs> I give it eight folded up banknotes out of ten. Oh, <laughs> wait. No. No. I give it eight wigs. necklaces out of ten. <laughs> oh, <laughs> no. I give it eight. Hey, you need one for the final film itself, so save okay. it, save it. Can I also... I've just realised when I said that the wig looked like meat from Phantom of the Paradise, I meant it. But I also realised that the wig looked like um, Evil Dead. 
Uh, who's... Yes. What are the, the uh, demons called in Evil Dead? Deadites. Deadites. Yeah. Uh, Linda Deadite has that wig. <laughs> Um, we now get the epilogue. So as the film returns to animation, the creep is seen inside the truck from the beginning of the film. He prepares to drive away and bid the audience farewell, but he then spots Billy still being chased by the bullies. Billy leads his pursuers uh, into a vacant lot, swarming with out-of-control plant growth. As he rides into what seems to be a dead end, Rhino and his gang move in to get Billy only to learn that the bulb they smashed was not the first one Billy had ordered. So we get loads of giant Venus flytraps emerging from the surrounding weeds and devour the thugs one by one, saving Rhino for last and spitting out his boot. Right. Billy opens his copy of Creepshow to uh, display the advertisement for the, for the uh, giant Venus flytraps he ordered, confirming that they eat meat. Right. And the film returns to live action and uh, the creep cackles in glee and drives off to deliver the latest issue of Creep Show to another town as the credits roll. We do get a bit of text post-credits. Uh, it says, Juvenile delinquency is the product of pent-up pent frustrations, stored-up resentments and bottled-up fears. It's not the product of cartoons and captions. But the comics are a handy, obvious, uncomplicated scapegoat. If the adults who crusade against them would only get esteemed up over such basic causes of delinquency as parental ignorance, indifference, cruelty, then there might be, and they might discover the comic books are no more a menace than the Treasure Island or Jack the Giant Killer. Which I find really interesting. Uh, and kind of makes sense with the whole wraparound thing. Um, and how... Billy's treated with the comic books yeah. and the way that something from a comic book has managed to kill these other kids who bullied him. Um, especially around his time when there was such a big thing going on with the rating system. You know, every time a Friday the 13th film would be released, it would be absolutely butchered. Yeah. Um, and, you know, the way America was at that point as well with media being blamed for certain things. So... It's interesting to me that this film is a gateway horror film that is partially aimed at kids, but also has all these adult stuff in it as well, and has this commentary there about the way kids are treated and how they think that, you know, certain media would make them do certain things. Yeah. Instead of parental ignorance. Yeah. It's, it confuses me a little, because it... I question more who is the target audience of yeah. this film. Um, because that feels like it's aimed at parents. Yes. So it's not aimed at kids. No. Um, but I don't feel like Creepshow 2 is the kind of film that parents who don't like their kids watching horror films or reading horror comics mm. would watch on their own accord. Yeah. Because it in every other aspect, it feels like it's aimed at a younger audience. That's true. So yeah. maybe a teen audience or, you know, younger kids, mm. you know, sneaking a watch on a VHS. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so it, it kind of... I agree with the point. Yeah. But I don't... It, it just makes me question 
Who is this film for? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. That is Creepshow 2. Creepshow 2, back in the... That brings us to our awards section. Yes. First up, we have Biggest Queen, and come on. It, it, we don't need to tell you. We know who it is. It's Annie Lansing. It is. I completely agree. From the Hitchhiker segment. Just, I mean, you know, she's uh, running people over, trying to kill people, <laughs> cheating on her husband, but she's a camp queen, and that's all, you know, that's what we want from films. She's neurotic. She's not perfect. <laughs> she's nothing of the sort. No. She's actually kind of horrible, but she absolutely slays an outfit. She does. <laughs> she's stunning and gorgeous, and yeah, it has to go to Annie. Yeah. Biggest gasp I have, uh, Sam shooting Martha and Ray in Old Chief Woodenhead. Yeah, I, I agree for that. My biggest gasp, I think, and I hate to... I don't want to dwell on the point too much, mm. but it is the sexual assault yeah. on the round. Yeah. I was, you know, I did actually gasp, so yeah. I have to give it to that. Cause I'm yeah. Like, yeah. Uh, best dialogue is Sam's monologue about the uh, superhero film with uh, the hair that gets cut and then he loses his superpowers. Yeah, that was funny. Um, my favourite dialogue is, you're seeing things, bitch. <laughs> I just love the delivery. So funny. And finally, that's camp. I have a tie. Ooh. I have Deke's tight yellow speedos from the raft. Yeah. Tied with every second of Annie's screen time in The Hitchhiker. I, yes. I uh, I put Annie getting hers. <laughs> yeah. Um, For ratings uh, as a whole, I give Creepshow 2 7 tight yellow speedos out of 10. Oh, have I had a have mm. deja vu? I give it six bad stunt driver wigs <laughs> out of ten. <laughs> uh, masterpiece, trash to piece, trash or basic. I have none of the above. I have, I just have good. Yeah, yeah, that's a real shame. It's, it's good. Mm. Um, bordering on basic at times. Yeah. Not going to lie to you, but I think good is the word. Yeah, it's, it's, it's all right. It's all right. And if you want to watch Creepshow 2, it's available on Arrow Video Blu-ray. Lovely uh, release. Yeah. Arrow. Uh, video On Demand, Shudder, and the Arrow Player. And if you enjoy this, I recommend... I've got two here because I recommend checking out Creepshow, obviously. Obviously. Uh, the first film, obviously. not the third one. Yeah. Um, I ch check out Creepshow, but in case you've already seen it, you know, you're watching Creepshow too, so there's a good chance. If you have, then I recommend Trick or Treat. Oh, nice, nice. Um, I think in terms of horror anthologies, I would recommend Tales from the Hood. Mm -hmm. Fantastic film. Yeah. Love that film. And if you want to see an anthology film with a sleigh queen having husband troubles... Check out Tales from the Crypt. Of course, of course. With Joan Collins um, and Santa Claus. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so, yeah. <laughs> I mean, I also recommend those as well. But, um, yeah. For me, Trigger Treat matches the tone. Um, yes. Yeah, you absolutely need to watch Tales from the Hood, especially. Yeah. It's amazing. 
Um, so, if you are a fan of Creepshow 2, let us know on social media. We're Horrible Trash over on Facebook and Instagram, and Horrible Trash on Twitter. I'm Dead at Gaz92 on Letterboxd, Gazmo205 on Instagram, and GazCruise92 on Twitter. I am ChrisBarker823 on Instagram and Letterboxd. And give us a rate review and subscribe on iTunes, like and follow on everything else. Buy our merch! Go on to Redbubble, type in Horrible Trash Over, and we have all sorts available with our logo on it. Next week, we are back with a return to trash for Summer Screams. We will be discussing Piranha Free Double D. I yes. think the title tells you everything you need to know about the film. Yeah, I think I haven't watched the film, but I feel like I've already watched the film. Yeah. <laughs> so we'll see you same time, same place next week. Bye. <laughs>